This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. No. This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy presents 50 Foot Ant's first story. Credited to 50 Foot Ant on something awful. And narrated by Atticus Jackson. Chapter 17 He inhaled deeply. I could tell by the way the parka lifted and the shoulders shifted. When he exhaled, it was in a plume that the wind whipped away at the same time as it shredded my cheeks with the tiny ice crystals that would soon become snowflakes. His eyes narrowed, and I could tell he was trying to make a decision. He'd have to come through me to get into the barracks. I had a brawler's reputation, and the shit my brother got involved in splashed me and tarred me with the same brush. I was smaller than him by four inches and twenty-five pounds, with less of an explosive temper, not as quick to start swinging a fist as him, and my rap was easier than his. I hadn't killed someone. The asshole in front of me had. Probably Bomber, maybe Lewis, definitely Jacobs. Almost for sure the four men on CQ. For a psycho who had torn up the barracks and killed seven people all that stood between him and the icy claws of a blizzard and the warmth of his hiding spot was another psycho. It was obvious that he knew he had a problem, and while we kept saying I'd come out second best in the stairwell, I doubt that at that second, staring at me hefting the knife with blood running down my chin and broken teeth, he thought that I'd be easy to take. All it would take was one good knife thrust, and even if he took me out, I'd still win. Time stretched out, the split second we stared at each other drawing out further and further. Even the dancing snowflakes seemed to be held in midair, suspended while we stared at one another. He took a step back from the doorway, shifting his feet and raising his hands in the standard judo training pose. I laughed. Swept the knife down on the 550 cord, parting it from the D-ring it was hooked to. The cord snapped back at him, vanishing into the snow. Bye bye I smiled and slammed the door. I grabbed the fire extinguisher off of the wall and turned to the door, slapping the knife into the sheath real quick. Two hard hits and the push bar snapped loose of the door. Two more hard hits and the lockbox was crushed and mangled. Turning around, I rushed up the stairs, tossing the fire extinguisher away as I headed past the mailboxes. I hurried up the stairs to the first floor and retraced my steps, moving fast. Fuck defense. I came back to where Jacobs was laying on the floor, ignoring Hernandez glaring at me. I bent down and grabbed the axe Jacobs had dropped when he tripped off the steps, 
moving into the short hallway that led to the war stock storage in the furnace room. Hernandez was yelling something at me, but I didn't pay any attention, moving forward and standing in front of the doorway. Hernandez yelled again, but I stood there, staring at the darkness. Snow whipped around, and the wind flowed in from the outside past me and up the stairwell. My eyes stung, my teeth throbbed, and my balls hurt from the cold, but I didn't care. Just like Hernandez's voice, the snow, the wind, the cold, the pain, all of it was remote and unimportant. All that mattered was what I knew was coming down the side of the building, blindly feeling his way through the wind-driven snow, one hand on the side of the building. Come on, bastard. He took longer than I thought, but not as long as I figured he would. I braced my feet as his hand slipped off the side of the building and into the doorway, watched as he turned, hands going out to the sides of the doorway. He was illuminated by my flashlight, and I knew that as soon as he finished turning, he'd spot me standing there with the axe. He had the NVGs on again, which surprised me a little. He hadn't had them on at the orderly room door, and I idly wondered just how much use they were in the freezing cold. His body language told me that he hadn't been expecting to see me again. Hey, baby. I grinned. And smashed him in the NVGs with the end of the axe, like I was doing a bayonet thrust. He stumbled back into the snow, and I lost sight of him. Two steps and he'd be off the loading dock, but I wasn't going to lay bets that he'd fall easily. Instead, I slammed the door shut, and like the other one, I kicked the chalk down and bashed the mechanism all to shit. Every instinct I possessed that my father had put in me, that had hammered into me in the D.I.'s, told me to go after him. Go on the offensive, pursue him as aggressively as possible, and get the momentum back on my side. Instead, I turned from the door. Nagel was knelt down next to Jacobs, and when I looked over, she shook her head. He's not dead yet, was all that she said. We can't leave him here, Hernandez said. I nodded. No, we can't, Nagel answered, touching the axe and the dark stain around it, then looked up at me. What happened? Jacobs hit a wire the fucker nailed him with an axe. I answered. Is there anything you can do? And then? She pressed, still examining Jacobs. Hernandez says you ran away. I looked at Hernandez, feeling a burn of fury lick through me. I took one step forward, and Nagel held up her hand without taking her attention from Jacobs, stopping me dead. What did you do? She asked. A couple of minutes was all it took for me to tell them what had happened, and Hernandez nodded once I explained my actions. The whole time Nagel checked the injury, even checked the axe, shaking her head. I wanted to deny him an easy way to move around away from us, was the simple explanation. Grab his feet, Hernandez, Nagel ordered. I'll grab his arms. Ant, hold the axe and try not to let it move around too much. When he got picked up, he screamed thinly, faintly, and Nagel shushed him gently. We moved up the stairs, slowly, and the blood-slick stairwell was no longer the thing that brought out horror like it had the first time we'd seen it. The wind whipped down the hallway, 
but not anything like it had before we'd sealed all the doors shut. I had to hold open the door each time, and Jacobs kept moaning as we moved. I figured that an axe blow like that would have killed him, since whoever it was had the strength to rupture John's appendix with one blow. When Carter opened the door to where we were hiding out, the room was silent. Put him on the table, Nagel ordered, and I held the axe still while we slid him onto the table. And I need the first aid kit. She told me, and I went over and grabbed it from where it sat on the wall. She pulled out the gauze, the tape, and other stuff. She took the rolled up gauze and folded it up neatly into small packs the size of her hand, and climbed up onto the table, straddling Jacob's. Hold him down, she ordered and held her hand up at Hernandez. Not you, Des. I need you for something else. What? He asked while I grabbed one leg and Daniels grabbed the other. Bomber was trying to get up, holding his stomach and swinging his legs down. Lewis was watching with bright eyes, broken chair legs splinting his broken legs. Grab the axe head, and when I tell you to, pull it free by pulling it straight up. She ordered. Hernandez nodded, and she looked to make sure that everyone was ready. All right. She took a deep breath, closed her eyes, and stared at the wound. Do it. Hernandez pulled it straight out, and blood poured out of the wound. For a split second, I could see splinters of yellowish-white in the wound before the blood covered up the splinters of his bone. Nagel pushed the gauze into the wound, putting pressure on it, putting her full body weight onto it. And Jacob screamed and thrashed, and Nagel yelled at us to hold him tighter and don't let him up. He's lost a lot of blood, Nagel said, slapping down a large gauze pad. I need strips. Give me the rest of the cloth strips. She snapped, all business. The oversexed and flighty version that everyone had come to know was gone. Instead, a hard, hatchet-faced woman, her auburn hair pulled back by a tie, hard-looking hands covered in blood, with a voice that refused to be ignored, had replaced her. Daniels let go of Jacob's other leg and grabbed the bandages off the table from where Nagel had splinted Lewis's legs. He handed them to her, thrusting them at her as if he wanted to be rid of them, and Nagel just pulled them out of his hands and began laying them on Jacob's bag and measuring them, knotting them together quickly. All right. When I say, lift him up so I can slide these underneath. She ordered, and Hernandez and Carter nodded. She stared for a moment, then said, lift! When the two other men lifted him, Nagel quickly looped the cloth underneath and told them to set him down. She cranked the bandages as tight as she could against the folded cloth on top of the pad she'd placed over the gauze that covered the wadding she jammed in. Jacobs had went unconscious again, and Nagel climbed off the man. That's all I can do, she said, looking around. Anyone else think of anything? A chest tube? Carter suggested. I wouldn't even know where to start, she admitted. The building groaned and shuddered, the vibration evident under my boots. I looked around at the room, barely lit by the few fading flashlights placed at critical points to light up the room. Bomber was leaning against the wall next to the bathroom, sweat running down his face. Out Lewis was propped up with two rolled-up sleeping bags eating an MRE. Out Hewitt had been missing since right after we left, 
Out Jacobs was unconscious on the table. Out four men on CQ. Out, 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 and out. Out of thirteen of us, eight were out. All we had left was Carter, Daniels, Hernandez, Nagel, and me. My tongue kept probing the broken teeth, almost relishing the zing of pain when I hit the exposed nerves. Nagel came over and sat down next to me, handing me my own MRE before wiping the blood off her hands with one of the little wet naps out of the MRE. I was glad for the first time in my life, for the chicken a la king meal. Even though it looked like warmed over cat shit, it wasn't hard to eat with my shattered teeth. She finished wiping off her hands, then turned to me, put her arms around me, and began quietly crying. I held her, glaring at any of the others who stared, and squeezed her tight. It took a little while until the sobs stopped, and she looked at me with reddened eyes. The tip of her nose was bluish and waxy-looking, the same with her earlobes. She was missing her eyelashes, and her face was peeling. Her skin was peeling on her cheekbones, and her face was harsh in the shadows cast by the flashlights. She was still beautiful to me. I don't know what to do, Aunt. She admitted. I don't think I can save Jacob's or Bomber. More tears spilled from her eyes. What do I do, Aunt? What you've been doing, I told her. I don't even understand what you're doing. She smiled wanly. If Bomber dies, will you still love me? Her voice was a little girl's voice. It wasn't you, I said. You didn't hit him with an axe. I felt pain in my mouth and knew I was snarling. You didn't kill him. Some fucking psycho did. We've got to stay here. Wait for them to come get us. She said a bit louder. What about Jacobs? Daniels asked, looking up. Nagel just shook her head. The barracks rumbled and groaned again. I've got to check on that, Carter said, standing up. I'll go, I said, letting go of Nagel. Anyone else? Carter asked. With Ant? Fuck that. So far, every time someone goes out with Ant, they come back all fucked up. Daniel said. I think I'll stay here. Coward, I spat. Fuck you, Ant, he answered. So nobody? Carter asked. Figures. No, I'll go, Nagel said, starting to stand up. I put my hand on her shoulder and shoved her down. No, you won't. You'll stay here and try to keep them alive. I told her, We need you to keep them alive. She looked up and nodded. Daniels, come with us, Carter said. Hernandez and Nagel can hold down the fort. Fine, but so help me God, Aunt, Daniels said. Yeah, yeah, I sneered, touching the knife on my hip. We opened the door to the platoon area and stared. The broken windows had let in almost six, maybe eight inches of snow, and more was blowing into the room as we stood there. Holy shit. He breathed, looking at the snow coating the floor, the ice on the walls, and the complete lack of footprints. Even the ones we just made when we hauled Jacobs into the platoon office were gone, 
eradicated by the wind and new snow. The building rumbled again. I'll check the first floor, Carter said, and I nodded as he continued. We'll check the doors and see how far the snow is piled up. The stairs were freezing, with wind blowing in through the broken window, frost and ice coating the walls and ceiling. We stood at the first floor landing, the two doors leading out, one into the CQ area, the other into the first floor hallway. Carter pushed on the CQ area door, grunting for a moment before giving up. We went into the hallway to find the doors pushed open by snow. The snow was at least three feet deep in the CQ area, and when we shined the flashlight, we could see that it had pushed in through the doors, shattering the glass panes on either side, destroying them. We're dicked, Carter said, and I nodded. There was another rumble, and I saw the snowpack in the CQ area push a little deeper into the building. The whole thing shook and groaned like it was in pain. Any ideas? There's a medical pack in the CQ area, Daniel said. We might want to dig it out of the snow. If we can't find it, we'll kick open the door of the headquarters platoon and see if any medic bags are there. Carter said, ducking down and moving across the snow. It was only about six inches of packed snow on the far side, and the snow had only spilled over the counter enough to cover it, the phones and the chairs that had been left. We could barely see, the dimness seeming to swallow up our meager and pitiful flashlight beams as we skirted the snow that had thrust its way into the building. The snow had pushed open the bathroom doors, broken open the day room and the rec room, and the unisex bathroom door was a wide-open maw of darkness. This is right below us. We might want to move somewhere else in case this part of the building collapses, Carter said, turning to speak to us. I was behind Carter and Daniels, my flashlight and Carter's both shining on Daniels, who had paused just for a moment. Carter was facing him and me, which meant that he saw what happened next perfectly. A pair of white hands with blackened flesh at the ends of the fingers, at the end of inhumanly long arms clad in ice-crusted BDUs, shot out of the unisex bathroom doorway. The hands grabbed Daniels by the shoulders, and before he could do much more than gape in surprise, the hands tightened with a loud crunch noise. I saw the talons that had replaced fingers sink into the flesh. Before we could do anything, Daniels was snatched into the darkness by those pale claws. Snatched so fast and with so much strength that his boots were left behind in the snow. Snatched so fast he didn't even have a chance to scream. Snatched off his feet and into the bathroom by cold white hands that ended in blackened talons. Carter and I both screamed like little girls. Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. 
We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 18 In the bathroom, a scream sounded that suddenly ended in bubbling and gargling and lewd crunching sounds. Daniel's boots sat in the snow in front of the unisex bathroom door, steam coming from the dampness left by his feet before he'd been yanked clear out of them and into the darkness of the bathroom. The crunching went on as Carter and I screamed. Run! Carter yelled, his eyes bulging in the dim light. I whirled around and ran for the stairs, slipping as I scrabbled for purchase on the snow-covered tile floor. I ripped open the door, completely ignoring the wind that shrieked around me and charged up the stairs. I could hear footsteps hammering after me, and I ran even faster, panic filling me. Both of us were still screaming as we rounded the landing and ran for the door that opened up into the hallway of the second floor. Ice shattered under my boots as I took the steps two at a time, running as fast as I could, and slammed into the bar that opened the door, crashing it open to bounce off the far wall. I whipped out my hand, grabbing the door jam, my momentum swinging me around, and I put a shoulder into the twin double doors, trying to turn so I could hear into the first platoon area. White hands with blackened talons. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Carter was yelling a steady mantra. We got to the door, and I stopped myself before I tried to just charge through the double doors that led into the platoon area, instead stopping and hammering on them hard enough to make them shake. For the love of God, open the fucking door! I screamed. Carter smashed into the door with me, hammering on it. Open! 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 He shouted. The locks clicked, and we threw the door open, running to the far side and spinning around to stare at it. It was open to a large room where people hung out, smoked cigarettes, and drank coffee while they waited for whatever job the NCOs decided to send everyone out on. For fuck's sake, close the goddamn door! Carter yelled. What? Nagel asked, shutting the doors and locking them. Where's Daniels? Lewis asked from where he was sitting on the mattress. He's fucking gone! I screamed, snatching up one of the fire axes. Tandy! Tandy got him! Carter yelled, looking around for a second and grabbing up another axe. Bullshit! 
Tandy isn't fucking real, Lewis said scornfully. Tell him that, Carter yelled. Daniel sure as fuck just found out he's real. I yelled at him. We told them what had happened, how we were only down there a few minutes before Tandy had drugged Daniels into the bathroom. It's that other guy fucking with us. There's no way Tandy is out there, Lewis said. You didn't see it, Carter screamed. No way was it that psycho. Calm down, Nago bellowed over us. Are you sure Daniels is dead? What do you think, Nancy? I asked. Tandy grabbed him. We gotta check. We have to make sure, Nagel said, looking around. We need to find out if he's dead. He's fucking gone, I spat. Carter nodded. We don't know that, Nagel said slowly. We need to check and make sure. And you're doing it by yourself. Carter snarled. Tandy's out there. I'm staying right fucking here. And there's nothing you can say to make me go. Nagel looked at me, her eyes pleading. Aunt. I'll go. I said, then sighed, turning to Carter. He's gonna kill us all sooner or later, James. And even if he doesn't, we've got someone else to worry about. Don't care. I'm not going down there. Carter answered. I nodded to him, understanding perfectly why he didn't want to go. Each winter, a couple more of the first twenty vanished. Each winter, our unit suffered between twenty and forty casualties that were listed as death by misadventure, or cold weather injury, or causes unknown, officially. Sometimes it seemed like nobody really cared about what happened to us. Aunt, I can't go down there alone, Nagel pleaded. I sighed, setting down the axe. I've got your back, babe. Hernandez stared at us for a long moment, his sense of duty warring with his fear of what might be out there. He glanced at our wounded, looked at my face, and stared at the door for a long time. And I knew that he was thinking about what was out there in the darkness, wind, Snow and cold. He'd heard the stories of Tandy. He'd been in the unit long enough to hear them. Fuck, I'm short too, he complained. I'm a double-digit midget. Stay here, Nagel said, shaking herself. You and Carter need to guard the wounded in case the psycho tries to kill them. She pointed at the axe on the table. If he breaks in, use those on him. Don't stop until he's in at least four different pieces. Hernandez and Carter nodded as I moved up to the doors. I waited for a few moments until Nagel had moved up and put her hand on the handle. Ready, Aunt? She asked, smiling a wan smile at me. Yeah. I told her, and she opened the doors. Outside the footprints we'd left were already gone, swept away by the snow and wind. The only light was from our flashlights, and the snow seemed to just absorb it, banishing what feeble light we had into darkness. Behind us, the door shut with a whisper, and we heard the metallic click of the lock, 
and the scraping sound I knew was someone putting a chair on the handle to keep someone from opening it if they managed to unlock it. He's going to kill us, you know. Nagel said, looking around and panning her flashlight. I can take him unless he runs again, I said. He got lucky in the stairwell. We started slogging through the snow in the room, heading towards the stairwell door. She smiled at me, looking sad. We let the snow in, we let the winter in, she told me, pulling open the door. When that happened, we let Tandy in. She finished as we moved into the stairwell. He's going to kill all of us. The stairs were empty, full of wind-blown snow, and I winced when I inhaled the cold air, and my teeth erupted into pain. I squinted, trying to see the stairs through the snowflakes, but they stayed blurry. What's wrong, Aunt? Nagel asked, seeing me squint and cock my head. Nothing. Fucking snow makes it hard to see. I said, and she grabbed my arm, pulling me around to face her. She shined her light in my face. Your eyes are fine, she reassured me. Come on, maybe we can save Daniels. I nodded and we hurried down the steps, pushing open the door to the first floor hallway. She stopped when she saw how the snow had pushed its way into the building shattering the glass panels on either side of the outside doors, ripping loose and mangling the two sets of doors that had acted as an airlock. There was another rumble, and the building groaned again, shivering under my boots. The snowpack that had forced its way through the doors moving forward a couple of handspans deeper into the room. The NORAD clock fell off the wall behind the almost snow-covered desk. Jesus. Nagel breathed, a plume of warm steam coming out of her mouth. The only sound was the wind shrieking through the hallways and the crunching of the snow under our boots as we made our way toward the unisex bathroom door. Nagel led the way, shining her flashlight on the snow, and stopped in front of the door waving me over. Fear clinching my stomach, I stopped next to her and looked into the bathroom. No Tandy. Nagel and I moved into the bathroom, looking around the corner where the sinks, mirrors, and toilet stalls were. Nagel's flashlight picking up the small window high in the far wall that was only six inches high and maybe a foot and a half wide. A light dusting of snow covered the tile, but the door was wedged open by the packed snow that had been forced into the CQ area. The bathroom was completely empty. No tracks, no blood. No bodies. Only Daniel's flashlights shining up at the ceiling. Fuck. Nagel breathed. Let's go, I said, turning around. We went back out into the CQ area. I checked behind the counter, coming up empty for the first aid kit. Nagel kept flashing her light around the room, often pausing on the open doors of the rec room, the day room, and the two bathroom doors and the open dark maw of the unisex bathroom. I looked up, opening my mouth to tell her we were out of luck, but I couldn't find the first aid kit. Behind Nagel, a dark form stood, and when I passed the flashlight onto him, I could see his one good eye, bloodshot, staring at Nagel. 
Nagel, who was right in front of him, maybe two feet away. Behind him, footprints disappeared into the first floor hallway. He brought the bayonet up as I started to move, yanking my knife free from my belt. And? She asked as I put one hand out to vault over the CQ counter. The knife came down. For more information, including pictures and videos of the stories told on this podcast, or to suggest stories for future episodes, please visit us at CreepyPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or email us at creepypod at gmail.com. All stories told on this podcast can be found at creepypastawikia.com and are protected by a Creative Commons license. Some rights reserved unless otherwise stated. Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object class Euclid Keter Safe Special containment procedures Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust <laughs> The only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing <laughs> Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.